0: happy super bowl weekend hello everyone this is julie voight here from pfg vibe bringing you the 37th episode of the pfg vibecast we have a great great super bowl episode for you this weekend so grab your snacks give us a listen and without further ado here's mr russell baxter
1: You know, when I first got started in this business of writing football, which is back in the mid 80s, um, I got an opportunity to uh, go to Canton, Ohio for the first time in 1989. It was the first uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame induction ceremonies I was able to attend. Uh, Willie Wood, Art Shell, Mel Blunt, Terry Bradshaw. The ceremony was on the steps. I want to say it was about 11 o'clock a.m. 2.30 in the afternoon, the Bills and the Redskins played the Hall of Fame game, which would be on ABC. Um, safe to say the Pro Football Hall of Fame ceremonies and event has evolved tremendously, and one of the reasons it has is our guest, Joe Horgan, um, recently retired from the Pro Football Hall of Fame, um, but his influence there for the years he was there um, is probably unmatched in our industry. Joe, welcome to the show. Well, oh, thank you, Russell. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, you know, there's. I heard there's a game this weekend. Um, yeah, I hear. here. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and in a place which will be hosting its 11th Super Bowl in terms of slash South Florida, Miami. Um, you know, I did a little history piece on it myself and so on. Um, you know, when you think Super Bowl, uh, you know, what, what's your greatest memory of the Super Bowls I mean obviously you, your history knowledge goes back years and years pre Super Bowl and so on but, but what's the first thing that jumps out to you when you hear the word Super Bowl
2: well you know I have so many memories Russell but you know I as a kid that grew up in the AFL my father worked in the American football League he was the league PR director uh, from 63 to 66. Uh, And even before that, he was with the Buffalo Evening News covering the Buffalo Bills and then went to work for them after 66 as their VP of communications. Any case, uh, I'm an AFL brat. So my really, you know, the the first four Super Bowls meant so much to me and my family. And it was like uh, every year was New Year's Eve again, all over again when the game was being played. You know, we couldn't wait. And it was this thing where. You know, those first two were extremely painful, you know, because the A- AFL got beat rather soundly by the Green Bay Packers, which kind of, you know, it was kind of the, the Packers epitomized the National Football League at that time. It was, you know, Vince Lombardi and, and his defensive uh, uh, ball control type of offense uh, versus the more wide open style of the Kansas City Chiefs and then the Oakland Raiders, and then Super Bowl three with Joe Namath, who kind of. Eventually, I guess not eventually, but at that time really kind of epitomized what the AFL had set out to do. And that was to be this more wide open, younger feeling league. You know, Joe was such a, an iconic figure of, of a young rebel almost that when they, when they won that game and getting to your point, what do I remember most when they won that game? It was like bang the pots and pans, shoot off the firecrackers, and celebrate things <laughs> the AFL had arrived. And, and And it was vindication. My next door neighbors and friends they were New York Giants fans. I had to suffer through the years of the New York Titans, you know. So it was here's the New York Jets now showing the world that the AFL could do it. And then that was followed up with the Chiefs the following year, uh, again beating the Minnesota Vikings, a, a team that was technically in the AFL first and jumped leagues back in 1960 to join the NFL in 61. So there was a lot of vindication for the AFL in those final uh, two of the four uh, uh, games played against the two independent leagues at that time. Those those four games in total, but those two games specifically are really fond memories. And then just fast forward 25 years of Super Bowl 25, when, when my Bills went to the Super Bowl, and right to that point, probably the most exciting Super Bowl played, although they lost. <laughs> you know uh, i I still contest it was I don't think it was wide right but you know we will like <laughs> but those 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 are my memories and you know obviously since super Bowl twenty I, I think the game you know really in general the games have been really exciting almost <laughs> since super Bowl 25 it, it kind of set the bar almost to you know hey beat this and you know we've had you know the the tom Brady comebacks and I mean it just they've been so much fun to be a part of and this is the uh, first time in 32 years that I'm not at the Super Bowl, so I'm going to see it on television. I've never, I haven't, you know, I can't remember the last time I saw a Super Bowl on television. So this is going to be an interesting experience. See if I can suffer through, you know, the interruptions that uh, that the live audience doesn't see.
1: Well, of course, you know, fast forward to uh, your fondness for the Kansas City Chiefs, who are in the Super Bowl for the first time uh, since Super Bowl four, and, and 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 I, I I like what you said about. The wide open style um, of the American Football League, um, and the irony, of course, of what the Kansas City Chiefs did to the Minnesota Vikings uh, in that Super Bowl, Super Bowl, uh, complete with uh, six Pro Football Hall of Famers alone. Um, You know, it just goes to show you, you know, no matter the firepower, defense is going to have a say. Well, I mean, I would be remiss since, you know, your dealings and, and your uh, career with the Pro Football Hall of Fame. There's something else going on this weekend, the night before, and of course, that's <laughs> yeah. the honors, um, and we're going to find out the five modern day enshrining the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But I, I'll be curious, your thoughts, Joe, on uh, the special centennial class, um, yeah. uh, you know, elected and announced uh, not too long ago. We saw those spontaneous and uh, emotional reactions from Bill Cower and Jimmy Johnson when they found out on their respective networks um, they had been in. Um, you know, can you talk a little about the Centennial Class and uh, you know? Yeah, I can, What yeah. any your it, you thoughts know, on it and so on?
2: Yeah, I can. I can tell you from an insider's perspective, the, the idea of the Centennial Class was was really mine, and it, when I say mine, mine through conversations with others, but. You know, I, I just saw the centennial and David Baker who's president and CEO of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, saw the centennial celebration in Canton, Ohio as an opportunity for the Hall of Fame to own something in the sense that no other city than Canton, Ohio can celebrate the 100th birthday in, the, in, a, in their hometown because there's only one place where the NFL was born and that was <laughs> Canton, Ohio. But we were looking for that marquee of that, you know, we we're trying to build something around it and um, for a long time I've been talking with a few of our Selectors who are more inclined towards looking at the senior candidates, specifically Rick Goslin. He and I have been talking for a number of years about, you know, we got to do something to catch up on the backlog of seniors. So, this really seemed to me like uh, the, the perfect storm uh, that this might be the opportunity that I could convince the powers to be that maybe there's a chance that we should look and, and could pull this off in the sense of going and having uh, a large class for the year of 2020. Uh, Which would include more seniors and you know, that was just kind of the general parameters And we began to start doing things like you have to be cognizant of you know the expense of doing something like this because we treat our Hall of Famers and like no others You know, we create a bronze bus for every one of them We have them all come to Canton with their family and uh, it can get very expensive. So we're not going to have a (laughs) hundred bus made in a year. That's for sure uh, it would be physically impossible for our sculptors, for one thing. But all of the things that had to be considered. And then we wanted to make sure that when we did it, it had you know, some logic to it. So after a lot of different um, re- revised looks, the proposal I kind of put forward was is celebrating the 100th anniversary of the National Football League meant that we could look at the uh, charter class of the Hall of Fame that went back and looked at those first um, pioneers, if you will, for the sport. Mm -hmm. And they had an, they had an expanded size uh, class. They had 17 charter members. I thought, why not have another 17 and then have the modern era class on top, which would bring it to 22. Well, we started playing, you know, with numbers and all that. And finally we came up with the idea, well, rather than the 17, like the charter class, we would mimic the charter class in the sense that we would have, players, coaches, and contributors, but all with a a taste of the uh, looking back to that first century as we prepare for the next. We didn't restrict ourselves and say, you know, none of the candidates can be, uh, you know, from, you know, know, like 1990, but we said, let's just not overlook, let's emphasize those earlier years, make sure we're going back and reviewing that first century and getting some of these guys, not all of them, I'm not going to be able to get all of them, there's still so many more but that was kind of the, the motivation. And then we ended up saying, well, rather than the 22, let's round it to 20, make it 20 for 2020. And that's kind of how we ended up at it. And then we decided to create a, rather than, you know, put this on our selectors, many of whom weren't even, well, most of all of them not, weren't, weren't born for the early years, but I mean, some um, are their, their strength is the more recent the most recent 50 years of the league where we wanted to create a panel and I was lucky enough to be included in that panel. Since I retired, I was became eligible. So uh, we wanted to have people that were either historians who played, who you know studied the game, coaches who coached the game, players who played the game, Hall of Fame selectors who have been doing this for a number of years, mostly our senior selection committee and our contributors committee. We had a com- committee in a long-winded ex- explanation of 25 what we considered experts in looking back. And uh, that included Bill Belichick, Ozzie Newsome, po- Bill Polian, Ron Wolf. Um, uh, I can't I'm going blank on, on some of the other Hall of Famers that we had involved. But uh, then factors like Rick Gostlin and, and uh, Jared Bell and, and uh, <coughs> excuse me, um, uh, uh, gosh, I'm, I'm just drawing total blanks here. Uh, That's okay. Um, Russell, but in any case. The 25 that we had, we had more vetting of these candidates. We had over 300 nominations to look at. And we did it over the course of a year. We had these teleconference calls. We had about, I think somebody said it was added up to like 16 hours of conference calls. We had a meeting that lasted 12 hours. We had a lot of film study. We exchanged with each other a lot of information from outsiders, you know, more inclusive, uh, getting more opinions from everybody we could. So there was a lot of vetting. We got it down to... A, a finalist that we then spent 12 hours going through, and we came out with the 15 uh, uh, persons that were that were elected, 10 players, uh, three contributors, and two coaches. Uh, and I think it is a really good representation of all the decades of the uh, mm-hmm. National Football League with an emphasis in the earlier years. There's still a lot more that I, I feel we should go back and look at, but at least we thinned the list a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think people uh, don't realize who who don't follow the Hall of Fame and its history and so on. Uh, pro football was born in 1920. Um, mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. The charter class of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the 17 you speak of, was 1963. Um, that's right. So that's that's like a 43 years, and there probably is a lot of catching up to do, you know. And you know, with sure. the system is now and so on. And and I will say this because I've talked to you for 30 years. Um, and, and i 'm not saying this because I have you on the air because i 've said it to other people. You have pushed the bar forward with a lot of the stuff that was very um almost regimented with the Hall of Fame. Um, yeah. you know I know you I, I know what you 're responsible for in terms of uh, you know there 's a night football game which that used to be the case um, uh, you know i we, we all know the story of Jim Kelly and three thousand of his closest friends. <laughs> <laughs> bringing them to Canton and for now on that the ceremony was then held at the stadium. And that's been an absolutely rousing success. Uh, I always go back to um, what have been 2005, Joe, um, the year mm-hmm. that you know, when Steve Young uh, went in. Um, and yep. to this day and all the years I've been going, I've never seen one collection of one player's Jersey in one place like Dan Marino's was that year. Yeah, that was, that was amazing. Staggering. Um, and of course, you know, he's a Pittsburgh kid, um, you know, marketable on television. And more importantly than anything else, the real reason he got the Pro Football Hall of Fame was those Isotoner gloves. So, um, <laughs> you know. <just laughs> Don't tell I him guess. that. <laughs> By the way, I, I got to throw this out because you know me and my sense of humor. Any chance that you're going to get Hugh Downs to host the 2020 ceremonies <laughs> that'd be great See, now, you know you'll have to explain that
2: to most of your listeners now you know first of all who's Hugh who downs they won't even know that but yeah, that's a russell that's good i like that
1: good you well know, i, I listen. told david
2: baker well i told david baker kind of using that same kind of uh, analogy <laughs> that you did i just said you know 2020 is the year of the visionary and i said david you should be the poster child you know, because he had such a great vision for the future of the Hall of Fame. And yes. I, I, was addressing, I was addressing our staff about a week and a half ago, you know, just kind of one of these things they asked me to come in and do every now and then. I was telling them, you know, there's something that they have to remember at the Hall of Fame, that sometimes things move at a glacier speed. And I borrow that term from Paul Taglia, who, who said that once to the owners about, you know, not to be afraid of change and not to fear the future, even though the future may move at a glacier speed. Well, mm-hmm. it, a lot of that happened at the Hall, you know, where it moved very slowly, but you can't let that glacier melt. That's your dream. You know, you've got to be dreamers. And sometimes you've got to have a, you know, a, a shot of adrenaline. And that's what David Baker has been to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He's been that shot of adrenaline to get that uh, dream moving again you know really getting very aggressive and then get that iceberg that uh, tends to move slowly moving a little faster and and he and i, I say this in, in a great deal of respect and appreciation you know there were a couple of programs that i brought to the forefront before i left that i really i felt these were things that i don't even want to call them bucket list items they weren't they were just things i felt were right and the timing was right and they just happened to happen at the end of my career but both of them and the two of them, and specifically the the centennial celebrate, the centennial team, and then the uh beginning of the black college football hall of fame is, uh being located at the Hall of Fame. those two things I wanted to see through fruition, and both of them, when I brought them to him, could have been shut down right there, you know that you know there would have been very good argument that these aren't reasonable ideas, Joe there's mm-hmm. another you know goofy thing you're trying to do, but he didn't he embraced them both and and neither of them would have happened without his backing, support and push and enthusiasm. That's the key, the enthusiasm. So that's kind of, you know, like I said, don't lose sight of the dream. Don't let the iceberg melt and keep the iceberg moving. But sometimes you need that shot of adrenaline to, you know, to really push it hard.
1: Well, by the way, uh, if you want me to explain 2020 Hugh Downs to, uh, to the listeners, <laughs> uh, I guess I'm going to have to explain that Hughes Downs for me is still the host of Concentration. Oh, gee. Oh, okay. No. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I I say that with fond memories. My mother and I used to watch the show together in the morning and so on. And I'm like, I, I remember when he started doing the news. I cute. Like, wait a minute. Isn't that that guy from yeah, that's a, that a that's a TV host talk show? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's it'd crazy. Be, it would be like Gene Rayburn doing the NBC nightly news. I would you know it was a little confusing for me. So yeah. <laughs> not confusing yeah. is your passion for what you do and your love. Uh, for the game and, and the history and so on. And, you know, somebody of your caliber, why not write another book? And by the way, I still have total football on my shelf, both volumes. There you? Wow. Wow. You got a strong shelf. Those are big books. Well, <laughs> yes. Well, well, in particular, Joe, they're actually books, which. Yes, you know, that's true. I don't yeah. begin with anymore. So, um, <laughs> but you, you had a book come out this year, NFL Century, the 100 year rise of America's, greatest sports league. Can you talk a little about it and and, uh, the work that went into that? Yeah. Another thing, you know, I, 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 people kept saying, gee, was that something you wanted to do,
2: you know, when you retired or, you know, as you retired, you know, no, no, the the two just kind of like collided. I'd been wanting to do Mm -hmm. a book, you know, for the hundredth anniversary. I'd been thinking about it for a couple of years. I wasn't planning on retiring. It was just one of those things that when I made that plan, I was already, already into the book, but the, the book, um, kind of came 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 together pretty quickly i uh my publisher you know when we finally got the deal done there was only going to be about 10 months to get the whole thing done i ended up getting a little bit of an extension so it was about 11 11 and a half months uh start to finish but what i had pitched in and the idea that i had first of all i i realized right away almost immediately that what in the hell was i thinking you can't write the (laughs) hundred years in one book so you know, I, all of a sudden I said, I, I know how a coach feels. I left a lot of first round picks walk out the door, you know, and, you know, I had nice. to cut them. So, but it was really in my attempt to look at the history of the league, find those uh, seminal moments, those those really critical moments that shaped the league as it moved forward. And some of them had been off told stories, but I wanted to make sure they were told accurately. Sometimes we get lost in the legend and the lore and we, you know, kind of blur the facts a little bit. So I wanted to go back, set the record straight, get the right people associated with the changes that were made, and then at the same time, bring in some new interesting stories that people may not have been familiar with uh, that were kind of uh, overshadowed by more dominant players or, or, or events. And it wasn't going to be a book about players, uh, you know, other than you know if there was specific players like a Johnny Unitas who had such an impact in a particular game, the 58 championship game, that I would tell that story. But it wasn't going to be about the game even. there. It was going to be about who this Johnny Unitas guy was, this you know, kid that uh, couldn't, find a, couldn't find his way through uh, finding a, a college to play for, couldn't find a pro team that wanted him, you know, was a free agent with the Colts playing semi-pro ball. That was the story I wanted to tell. But I wanted to tell it, you know, again, from a more um, impact story of a human being on the game than just that game. So, you know, and then, you know, the other things, I, you know, there are, there are people that um, Paul Tagliabue, I thought, is played such an important role in the history of the game. and Because so he's still kind of contemporary in one sense, but he's the classic example uh, of some of the people in NFL history whose accomplishments behind closed doors uh, are just not well, uh, well enough known and appreciated. And uh, I wanted to make sure that those stories were told. I wanted people to become more familiar with who Joe Carr was, the man that really built the NFL. I mean, he became the president in 1921, one year after the league was founded, but it was a, he was a member of the team or a member of the league since 1920. But right through 1939, he built the league. He really did. He and George Halas on two different planes. Uh, Joe was the administrator building the league and, and Hallis as the, I guess, the visionary, with just not just the team, but the future of how the league was going to grow. So those were just a lot of different stories like that, but then there's you know just some oddball stories I threw in there, even including you know the importance of the hash mark. You know it's just how which book changed the game, but by, by moved several times uh, to make the game more interesting. You don't think about a simple mark on the field as being as uh, important as it was. Uh, but you know I try to hit a lot of the old uh, tried and true stories, but from different angles too. So. It wasn't going to be that narrative, and I didn't want it to be a, you know an encyclopedic look at the game. I wanted it to be interesting, entertaining, and, if not um, um, without boring people being accurate and
1: factual. Well, I mean, those are two of your middle names. It's accurate accurate and factual. I mean, um, <laughs> the impact you have made um, in our business. Um, and I speak as a, a, as a researcher and, uh, and a writer, and so on, is you know, unquestioned. Um, Thank it you. Is, it, it is, um, and books like this are very important because, you know, in social media today, at least I, I'll speak for myself, um, you actually see a desire for younger people and even people who don't know football as much to learn the history. I mean, I'll get a yeah. occasional tweet of, well, only the Super Bowls count. And, um, well, listen, that, that's a little bewildering to me because I'm pretty sure the NFL is celebrating its 100th anniversary, not its 54th. Um, yes, yeah, exactly. But more importantly, there is no Super Bowl without the 20s and the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. It'd be sure. like, uh, sure. It would be like counting the World Series before uh, division started which I believe, right. until 1969. So, I mean, you're going to leave out 60-something years of the World Series because they had an American League champion and a National League champion. So it, there is a desire out there to understand the game. And I, thought, and I think the league and you guys at the Hall of Fame have done a great job getting people uh, just up on things. And, you know, for people who don't understand, the Pro Football Hall of Fame is really its, its own entity, and it recognizes all the pro football. Um, like the Amer- All-American Football Conference and the you know accomplishments of the Cleveland Browns from 46 to 49, for people who haven't been there, I can't stress enough what a bucket list item it is for a football fan and a sports fan. And um, the opportunity to sit down and talk with you tonight, Joe, um, is something I've gotten a chance to do in Canton at you know at at, at the at the jacket dinner and different events, and so on. Uh, But I can't thank you enough for taking the time out tonight uh, to talk about, uh, you know, the Hall, Super Bowl, your book, and uh, looking forward to having you back on here soon enough.
2: Russell, I'll leave you with one fact. Uh, You mentioned the All-American Football Conference when describing Mm -hmm. the Hall of Fame. Obviously, We covered all the leagues, and you talked about the Super Bowl. Well, this Super Bowl, think about it. The two teams in this Super Bowl neither of them are were born in the NFL. Cleveland Browns began in the All-America, or I mean the uh, Cleveland Browns the San Francisco 49ers began in the All-America Football Conference and the Kansas City Chiefs began in the American Football League. Mm-hmm. So so we have no representative in the Super Bowl this year the 100th anniversary of the NFL that actually had its start in the NFL. That
1: is, that is a fascinating piece of information. Yeah, the, the San Francisco 49ers were kind of the you know, Cle- what did Cleveland lose, four games the entire four years? Yeah, the San Francisco 49ers were a very good team. They just yes. unfortunately were playing in a league that had the Cleveland Browns. Right, exactly, exactly. So, and, and, and ironically enough, now the 49ers are in their seventh Super Bowl and the Cleveland Browns, you know, for what it <laughs> to the big game. They left yet, it all so. in the
2: table at the All-American Conference, I guess.
1: Yes. Well, I mean, listen, it, it's not like they didn't go in the NFL. I think one of my favorite historic points uh, to put a wrap on this is the fact that they dominated that league for four years and then there were the skeptics. Well, now they're going to join the NFL and uh, what they whooped the defending champion Philadelphia Eagles in in their first um, and won their first NFL championship, their first year in the NFL in that great game against the Rams. Yep, exactly right. Yeah. So great. I mean, this is, we could do this for hours and hours and hours. um, And maybe one day. we'll. As
2: as we have in the past.
1: Very true. Very true. And I, and, and on a personal note, I just want to thank you for all the help you've given me over the year, you and your staff and so on. And um, as you know, a little help that you gave to my brother and his family, when you gave them a little tour of the hall of fame a number of years ago, Uh, just a, a little reminder now, uh those young that young man and that young woman are now parents and good lord my brother michael is a grandfather so <laughs> uh, but i i passed on the news when you retired and so on and and you could see a little smile uh over the phone and so on because they have great memories of uh coming out the canton and you spending some special time with them and so on so oh
2: that's nice to hear thank you russell
1: yeah. well um so i will see you in august um, I am counting on it. I am counting on it. It'll be a big year. It really will. It'll be a lot of fun. And, and Julie and I want to say thank you uh, for coming on the show tonight. And good luck. Continue good luck with the book. And uh, thank you. We'll talk to you soon.
2: You're very good. We'll talk to you then. Take care. All. Thanks, Joe.
0: And as always, we want to go ahead and thank Joe Horrigan, just to remind you all that he is the former Pro Football Hall of Fame Executive Director, who is now retired. He authored a book titled NFL Century, The 100-Year Rise of America's Greatest Sports League. You can find Joe on Twitter at Joe H-H-O-F. Great stuff there with both Russell and Joe about the Hall of Fame, and hopefully we will be able to meet Joe um, out in Canton this year. Next, we have a great, great segment, one of PFG Vibes' favorite, favorite guests, in my opinion, <laughs> um, that we would like for you to enjoy. Russell?
1: Well, joining us is uh, one of our favorite guests um, from a year ago. Early last year, um, we talked to Sean Salisbury about the quarterback prospects. Uh, And he was dead on with his analysis. And uh, now he's down at Super Bowl 54. And we're looking for some more dead on analysis. And Sean, welcome back to the show. It's great to hear from you. you. You and I have known each other an awfully long time. I love talking football with you, and I love you like a brother.
3: Uh your family, Russ. It's great to be on with you, my man, and uh, I sure appreciate it. And I'm so great grateful to be on. we always grateful for the introduction, and it's always a pleasure to join you. I miss you, too, and I can't wait to see you again, my man.
1: Well, our pads will cross again, I know that. But the pads this week crossing are the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers, one team that hasn't won a title since 1994. Um, when Steve Young threw six touchdown passes in that stadium uh, where the game will be Sunday, of course, called so many other things other than the Hard Rock Stadium over the years. And of course, the Kansas City Chiefs haven't been here since uh, Hank Strand was by to Toss Power Trap back in 1969 in Super Bowl four. So uh, it's fascinating. And, um, you know, always a great history lesson when it comes to Super Bowl. What's the thing about this game that intrigues you the most?
3: Oh, gosh, there's so many. But I, I could tell you, you, know what's interesting, Russ? We got the old school Andy Reid who's been in this, you know, Bill Walsh West Coast uh, type of thing for years, the old guard, been to Super Bowl, KG veteran, who's going new school, spread it out, formation you, would do all this stuff, RPO, and I think they ran as many RPOs as anybody in football this year, um, using the what these young quarterbacks and young coordinators and coaches are using. And then there's Kyle Shanahan, part of the young group of these guys, the McVay's of the world, and the the Matt Maggies, who was obviously an Andy Reid guy, Mm -hmm. who is going old school like I'm watching 25 years ago. Inside, trap you, run bootleg, throw the ball to to old Tom Rathman in the flat, get the ball out quickly, two tight ends, pull back in the backfield, you know, all those things. So it's really ironic how it shifted. But I I think the – and you and I talked before this show – I'm anxious to see how defenses deploy against the tight ends. And I'm also curious to see if any of these defensive coordinators in Spags or in Sala will get away from what got them here. Meaning if, you know, if you're Sala, you don't want to play a whole lot of single high safety and and blitz a lot because Pat's so good at beating you. But you're hoping like the Giants used to do, ironically, with Spagnola, now the defensive coordinator in Kansas City, is rush for – and I don't think sacks are the overbearing thing. To me, it's mm-hmm. pressures to get Patrick uncomfortable early and make him be patient, which he's been this playoff. So it's the physical, wear you out with body blows of the 49ers on both sides of the ball against the quick strike cobra bite snake that if you blink, they've scored three touchdowns in a quarter and you're in a chase mode. So it is intriguing to me because I think the most complete team, if not in football, one of is the San Francisco 49ers yet. I know that ever-present quarterback, who's the best in the league right now, Patrick Mahomes. That's the great equalizer. I think we're in for one hell of a game, Russ.
1: I do too. Um, you know, I, I go back and I, I can see it right now. It was one of my fondest memories as a sports fan uh, when I was a kid. Uh, Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali, the slugger versus the boxer. Uh, this right. kind of Sports Illustrated cover, and that's kind of what it reminds me of. The body blows of the San Francisco 49ers, who won defense sometimes. I, and on offense, look like the fastest team in the league. You know, in a blink of an eye, they can make a, an offensive play or a defensive play. And yet I look at the Chiefs of how their defense has evolved as the season wore on. Um, and it's a big catalyst for their uh, their current eight-game winning streak. You know, they had lost the Titans in, in a wild game, 35-32. They had, haven't lost since. Uh, and it was just interesting to me to watch – the playoffs in which they were down early to both teams, the Texans and the Titans, and up by halftime. So, uh, like you said, the lightning strike, the Cobra quickness of the Kansas City Chiefs, it's a great contrast in styles, and a lot of times these make for fantastic games.
3: Um, right. And yeah, that real quick, Russ, I was just going to say, you know, I'm usually on the side of physical beats, finesse, and I think there's this feeling of the, at least the perception of Kansas City's finesse. And they're really good up front, especially offensive line. And they're going to be challenged with are they going to chip or are the, are the tackles going to handle Bosa and D Ford on their own. But they're more physical than people think. But it is. It's the maul you, wear you out to the point to where you can't. They're choking you out, the 49ers, against a team that – and you know how this is, Rusty. They love the big play. They love the upper deck home run, The you know, the upper tank shot the Chiefs do. And that will be the challenge for the 49ers. Will they – prevent that run after the catch that turns into a 60 yard touchdown that breaks their back.
1: Well, it's funny, their defense in the playoffs has looked more like the defense that got them off to the great start. I know they had some injuries in midseason, and, and we saw the Cardinals move the ball against them twice. Even though they beat the Cardinals twice and we saw them give up 46 points to the Saints, but they won that game. But we also saw it right like down the field on them uh, late in the game and knock them off and, and the loss to Seattle. And, um, it's funny, Sean, the game that stands out the most to me about the 49ers this year was actually a game they lost. It was to the Ravens where they went toe-to-toe with them with that style of offense on the road, not great conditions. They lost the game. They lost the game late on a field goal, but it kind of showed me uh, their mettle. I'm, I'm going to go back to the to the head coaches for a second because these are two head coaches who obviously command a lot of respect. Obviously, Andy Reid's been at this a lot longer. He's been he's been the head coach of a team every year since 1999, be it the Eagles or the Chiefs. There's been, you know, no, you know, he, he hasn't taken a year off as far as being the head coach. Kyle Shanahan right. in his first uh, NFL head coaching job, not to bring up the bad, but We know what happened last time. Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator in the Super Bowl with the Falcons. We know of of Andy's postseason issues at times. Um, Another guy um, who's been up big in games against the Colts one year, against the Titans a couple years ago, Uh, the Super Bowl loss to the Patriots while I was with the Eagles. Uh, I'm not saying that's going to play a factor in here, but does it? It does, Russ. I
3: I believe – so glad you hit this. I, I now it can play a factor in two different ways, as you know. It can play of oh my gosh, I'm calling upon this. I remember when I was up 28 to three and really didn't do what I wanted to do as a coordinator in Atlanta. And for Andy, it can come up as everybody says I'm a Hall of Fame. Co-. You know that in the back of your mind, but I'm back in this Super Bowl after all these years. And there may not be a more beloved coach in the league than that. Uh-huh. I mean, than Andy Reid, one of the finest humans in the league and a great person and a great football coach yet there's still something, oh, under pressure. You know how that goes, the, yes. the negative part of it. Yes, but I do think, Russ, and you know this. You've, you've been around this game and, and looked at the numbers and talked to people for years. I can tell you this. I've never played in a Super Bowl. I've played in you know, regular season games, big games to get into the playoffs, and I've started and played in playoff games. And the intensity that goes up. But I can tell you that that pressure will make you do some crazy things, mm-hmm. good and bad. It'll bring out the best of the worst. And my gut tells me that both Kyle and Andy, if it's a situation where Andy has to use the right timeout or make the right play call, they'll get it right. I I think he'll draw on the positive and say, the good ones learn from that and don't dwell on the fact that oh man, I got beat down by it. And Kyle got beat up over it. You know, for time and time again, giving Brady all those opportunities and not you know doing what he needed to do, run the football. And learn from it. And now look at the base of the team. We're running it. We're doing what his old his old man did. So I do think they can both draw upon it. And they're both bright enough. They've both been in the game long enough. And even though Kyle's young at it, still he's been around football a long time. That I think I don't believe their teams would be in this situation if they hadn't somewhere along the line this season been faced with a similar situation where they had to do something. And so even though it wasn't the Super Bowl, you can draw upon it, but the intensity goes up. The pressure and the choke factor exists, but you're exactly right. And it may come to the point where one draws on it, and says, you know what, I'm learning from it, and the other one can't get over it in a Super Bowl and goes back to the same old. But I would believe that in Kyle's situation, the call would be different or the call's late in the game with a lead. And look at it. It's Brady. It's Mahomes. I think mean, Mahomes is every bit as capable <laughs> of bringing you back from 28-3. to And I think Andy Reid's that warrior's been in enough of these that I think that Uh, that if it comes down to that call, I trust Andy Reid enough to make the right one this time. I think they'll both draw on it but positively.
1: Yeah, I I always go back to that Super Bowl against the Patriots. And you remember that game, because early in the game, Devontae Freeman was having enormous success against the defense. And I was always astonished. uh, And you know me, I'm more into carries than I am yards sometimes when it comes to the running game. But if you would have told me by the end of that game, that New England had the exact same amount of rushing yards in the Atlanta Falcons. That was stunning. Oh, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, yeah, they wound up with more running plays because even though they were down, even though they weren't getting nine or ten yards a carry or even five and six, they never stopped with their game plan. They ran like 90-something plays in that game. And uh, it was funny because watching Kyle's – the antithesis was last week – or, or almost two weeks ago, uh, Kyle Shanahan persistently running that football um, against, against Green Bay, and as he said, because it was working. And uh, right. you know as well as I do, um, you know, you'll see coaches who will stop doing what they're doing that is successful sometimes just to change things up, um, but they were winning with power. They were dominating – Green Bay in the trenches. And uh, I don't know if they're going to be able to do that, uh, you know, against Chris Jones and against Kansas City's defensive personnel. I like what you said about uh, blocking the edge rushers of the San Francisco 49ers. I I mean, the Kansas City Chiefs have a a real good pair of offensive tackles.
3: Yeah, they do Russ. And you know, when it, it, with, with Fisher and, you know, Schwartz has been an all pro for the last couple of years. And, I've, you know, I've seen a lot of it, and they do – they'll help chip. And sometimes th- that keeps people in, and you get a little uh, – the guy who's supposed to, if you're playing man or a guy's matchup with you back out of the backfield, if you chip and, and that guy stays in a hole, sometimes he's a guy sitting in the hole because his back stayed in, and so you're thrown to a dangerous spot because he's got nobody to hold him. But I actually think in this game – and they're going to slide the line depending at times more to Bosa than Ford – and if Ford's over Schwartz, I think I think Schwartz can handle that. The key is on the side, depending on where they put him, and you know uh Sal is gonna move those four around. They're gonna move them around so you can't locate them every time you mm-hmm. got a direct protection. But I, the, the Bosa energy and doing it, I'm really intrigued if he's coming off the edge hard and, and got a couple different moves and he gets to Pat early, they could change the way they go about things, but I think the goal is gonna be get it out try to keep them on skates to where they got to at least respect the run, whether it's an RPO or a little play action, and try to get the ball out before they get there. And the one thing about it is Pat's still good enough, Mahomes, is to make you miss if you're overly aggressive. He's a big, strong kid, but also can make you miss. And you know this, Russ, sometimes guys are over-pursuing, you use that Mm -hmm. against them. You're coming too hard, and all of a sudden just one little jab step, you run by him, and now there's that open gap for you to slide and is there anybody other than Aaron Rodgers who throws the ball off schedule, off platform, better than Mahomes? No, he'll kill you with those little sidestep, reset, five-yard sidestep, or scramble to the left and go. So it's almost like special teams. You better stay in your lane because if you don't, they will find it. So I'm really curious to see how Sandy starts out saying, get them all out. Our five can handle their four plus one if he brings him. And if not, every now and again, just give him a little shoulder shrug. But I think Andy wants to test, I would, you know, the Hardman or Kelsey on, are you going to put a strong safety? You're going to go big? Then we'll go small with our speed because we can run. If you're going to go small and bring six DBs in, then we're still going to be able to run the football because our big guys are going to stand because we're not going to take the Kelsey's out of the game. So I'm anxious to see how the matchups go with two coaches on both sides of the ball, really all four of them, didn't know how to find the one spot. And you're exactly right, Russ. I've never understood. I loved what Kyle did. So Jimmy threw it eight times. And? So? Big deal. We, didn't need, we didn't need to throw it ten times. Yeah. Right. You saw Bob Greasy in two Super Bowls, so what, like 12 and 14 or 9 and 16. Six of seven, times? eight what? of 11. <laughs> there, there, there you go, my man. I knew you'd come up with the exact stat. So this is the same. Now, he's probably going to have to throw up more than that. But yeah. I, we, were, we did this at FC, at Rusty. We were, when Marcus Allen was there by freshman year, with the student body right and running toss and pitch. And inside, we'd run what we call uh, 25 power to the left and 28 pitch to the right. And it didn't matter. We'd do it 30, 40 times. John Robinson used to love to run that. You saw him in the NFL with Eric Dickerson. Sure. And we'd do it six, seven, eight, ten times in a row. Why would I stop eight yards of carry? Why, why, why do I need to change it? If I've got seven plays that are working, I just formation you a little different, that it looks different to you. Why the hell am I going to stop in the middle of that and stop down from doing it? So, And I think both of these guys are really good at exploiting your weakness and hammered it to the point where they draw blood, and I think both are looking forward to that.
1: Yeah, um, and, and I'm going to be see, interested to see how Andy attacks them with the run. Um, you know, when you have an aggressive line like they have, loaded with first-round draft choices, uh, guys who get after the quarterback, to me, Nick Bosa changed the mentality. Of that, Nick Boza, in my opinion, changed the San Francisco 49ers defense like Quentin Nelson changed the Indianapolis Colts offense a year ago. That type of young kid with fire in his, in his belly, um, that mentality, that not stunned by being a newcomer, he, he came in, and you know this, uh, Armstead uh buckner who's actually played pretty well solomon thomas they had a lot of first round draft choices weren't necessarily producing they went out and got d ford obviously and so on and then bosa comes in and he's almost like uh like a cigarette lighter you know that that started um and some of their other changes uh as well look
3: what he did rest here you're right it's contagious Mm-hmm. look at look what it's done to everybody else and yes. and you couldn't be more correct quentin Nelson walks off the drafts platform took his suit off put a helmet on and has been mauling people ever yes. since. they they went from a horrible offensive line to now if philip rivers ends up the quarterback there you got a guy who doesn't move much and he won't have to mm-hmm. and so whoever it is so that you're right and then bosa comes in and we're thinking well, joey bosa is really good and then nick waltzes in and you say oh younger brother's pretty good too and he has he and it's almost as if – and I played with Dolman, God rest his soul, one of our great players, Don yes. Randall, Keith Millard, Keith Millard, and Hank Thomas at the same time. Who are you going to double? And they were fighting each other to get to the quarterback. Okay, today's your day. And they didn't want the other guy to beat him there. So what it does, it ramps everybody up. Both his energy and the way that this San Francisco 49ers team is built, they're built for the test of time, Rusty. I think you and I both believe that.
1: Yeah, um, a, a lot of youth. Um... I, again, what Boza did in terms of demeanor changed the mentality of that entire unit, Uh super aggressive Remember, Here's what people, some may forget last year, the San Francisco 49ers had two interceptions and seven takeaways. Those are NFL records. You don't want to set. And this year they completely turned that around because of their aggressive play. I, I mean, Hell, they had more interceptions against Jameis Winston in Week One, I think, than they had all of last year, um, and that's just not because of Jameis Winston's the the mentality of what how they have played. Again, they had that little lull in the second half because of the injuries, but they looked that right. kind defense last, these last couple of weeks against Minnesota and Green Bay. Well, I guess it's the put you on the spot time, Sean. Um, what do you think Sunday? Who do you think wins? If you want to give me a a score, or if you want to give me an MVP, the floor is yours.
3: I, I'm going to go this. Put it this. I'll start this by saying, if the Chiefs don't, if the if the Chiefs, if uh, Pat Mahomes is not the MVP, the Chiefs can't. The Chiefs aren't going to win. Okay. And that, that that's number one. Now, I, and I, and I may be crazy, but if, for instance, if and we we both know, and you said no tight end's ever been the MVP in a Super Bowl, right, Russ?
1: No tight end. Yeah, correct. And we and we got you know. The two best in the league. Right. Now just all pro voting.
3: And with that in mind, so, and both are capable of it. But I say this, if Kelsey catches eight for 105 and two touchdowns, what do you think Mahomes is doing the rest? of? You know what I'm saying? He could have a great game and we're going to say, well, Pat's going for 450. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So I, I don't think the Chiefs win unless Mahomes is the MVP. So we'll start there. I usually would be a guy, even though I'm a quarterback, that goes with the guy. I'm usually – if you maul me and if you're physical, I usually err on the side of – my caution would be I'll usually take the team that dominates the line of scrimmage. And to me, the 49ers have done it a little bit better, if not a lot better in certain situations the whole year. But you're right about Kansas City's defensive front stepping up their game. But with all that being said, I think Patrick Mahomes is good enough for us to – Stumble his way to three touchdowns. I do. And, and 21. And while the 49ers, heck, they can score. People have them like, well, they're just a grind-out team. They'll put 30 on you. But I, I just think that when it all comes down to it, I think more chunk plays with their team speed that kills. I'm going to go with Kansas City Chiefs. Now, tomorrow I may wake up and say, Sean, what a stupid pick. But I love both of them. I love both coaches. And there's a little emotion in this for me, Russ. Uh, that I, I, There's something I, I, I kind of – you know, we all have that little tug. Mm-hmm. Andy reads that Andy reads that tug at my heart because I love him. I do. And I've known him for so long. But just trying to get away from that emotion part, I, I'm going to choose, as I will most of the time, if everything gets down to equal, as much as I respect Jimmy and think he's really good, I think Patrick Mahomes is the best player in this league. And I think that every GM and coach would choose him first if they were selecting from current players. 31-27 Chiefs and Mahomes in the upper 300 with three or four touchdowns. And it's a close game, and they may have to come back. Maybe it's 27-24 late, and Patrick throws a touchdown. But I'm going to go with the dramatic finish, and Mahomes pulling it out and name the MVP.
1: Well, I like that. And and, and I'm just going to key off something you said, because uh, you're right. I don't think the 49ers get enough credit for what they can do offensively. And again – these are just regular season numbers, but think of the irony of this, Sean. Who scored more points this year, San Francisco or Kansas City? I think the 49ers did. They did, 479 yeah. to 451. Now get this. Right. Who gave up fewer points, San Francisco or Kansas City?
3: I know you're going to tell me Kansas City.
1: It was Kansas City, 3 <laughs> to 310. Now, I mean, just think of the irony of that.
3: Right. But I think right. a lot
1: of that has to do with the fact of how. Steve Spagnuolo's defense, but also the one thing a lot a year ago, the Chiefs scored five hundred sixty-five points, the third most in NFL history in one season. They gave up right. twenty-one. If they would have won the Super Bowl, that would have been the most points ever given up by a Super Bowl champion. They went from four twenty-one to three hundred eight. Three hundred eight is less than twenty a game. But the thing that struck right. me about Kansas City during this eight-game winning streak last year was. All offense and, you know, we'll just, you know, do the best we can on defense. That's why they played New England twice last year, scored 40 and 31 and lost both games. I mean, it's incredible to right. think about it, okay? They, to me, look like they complementary football during this eight-game stretch. They're getting contributions from everybody. And I know they gave up 31 to the Texans, but there was a blocked punt. There was a muffed kick. Um, you know, to me, they're just a more balanced football team. I like what you said at the top. I think San Francisco from top to bottom is probably the better team. But I kind of think Kansas City's playing better football right now. And you didn't ask me, but I'll say it anyway. Kansas City 24, San Francisco 22. Right.
3: Well, there you go. And who's going to be the MVP? Mahomes?
1: I don't know if it's going to necessarily be Mahomes. Um, uh, You know, because you think 24 points, but I think – I don't know if I've made up my mind on MVP yet, and I'm not trying to copy like that. Uh, you no, know, I agree obviously you. I the, agree. Right. The tight end or so on. I think Sanford, you know, I, I think Andy has to take advantage of San Francisco's aggressiveness um, and running the football on them. San Francisco was mediocre against the run, and, and I don't have to tell you in 100 years of football, you know, it's hard to get a sack when the running back has the football. So. Um, I think can use that against them. So I'll be looking for the delays and the draws, and and Holmes. uh, I'm sorry, Mahomes trying to bounce outside. I just think it's a fascinating matchup, and I'll go back to the the slugger versus the boxer. Um, And I'm hoping we get I hoping we get an Ali Frazier uh, fight one out of this. Well,
3: I can't wait. I can't wait,
1: my man. I can't thank you enough for taking out time. I know you're obviously in Miami. You're up early doing your show. Uh, For people who aren't aware of Sean's show, the Sean Salisbury show on Sport Talk 790, Um, it's outstanding. It's fun. It's the right perspective. And, again, Sean and I have known each other an awfully long time. And Julie and I want to thank you so much for coming on tonight. And enjoy the game. And we hope to talk to you in the next couple months when we're talking NFL draft, sir.
3: Let's do it, man. I look forward to it. I'm always here for you. I miss you, and I love you, brother, and we'll do it again.
1: I love you too, man. Talk to you soon.
3: All right, Rusty.
0: And once again, we want to thank Sean Salisbury for coming back on our show and hopefully many, many more episodes um, that we will be hearing from him. We also want to remind you as well that Sean is a former NFL quarterback and is also the host of the Sean Salisbury Show on Sports Talk 790 in Houston. You can follow him on Twitter at SeanUnfiltered Unfiltered and at S. Salisbury Show. We love listening to Sean and his intakes on the Super Bowl and even on the quarterbacks coming up. So um, give him a follow. Great follow. Great friend of the show. So it's Super Bowl weekend upon us. Um, we have two very, very competitive teams, the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. We hope you enjoy the game and everything else that comes with it enjoy your family and friends that you invite over and just have a great time. May the best team win. I know chiefs are pretty much favored, but with these two teams, it could really, really go either way. So um, look forward to the next episode um, where we go ahead and close out the season. So for Russell Baxter, you can find him at profootballguru.com and myself, Julie noted underscore PFG. This is PFG Vibecast mm-hmm. signing out. Talk to you soon. So long everybody.